Radio Mano Papachango. Tangentially speaking, brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, daughters and sons, am I, who am I forgetting? A cousins? Well, we're not going to get into cousins. Fuck the cousins. Are cousins really part of the family? I've got cousins who don't know me. Uh, cousins I don't know is probably another way of saying that, a less egotistical way of framing that. Yeah, where does family end? Where does it begin? Because if you've got cousins you don't know, do they matter more than your neighbor who you do know, but with whom you have no shared blood, as they say? I don't know. It's a good question. Uh, And that question has nothing to do with today's episode, which is a conversation I had a couple of weeks ago Uh, with a guy who goes by the name of Zappy. Yes, Zappy. He's, uh, I gotta say, when I met this guy, I thought, eh, this guy's a little too slick for my taste. He's very branded. His name's Zappy Zappelin. He's got these um, sort of weird, round, white, glasses that's his like signature look he's you know he's got his look people have their looks these people in the public eye they've got their I don't know what you would call it Uh, could be a gimmick if you're going negative it's just something recognizable like Tom Waits you'll never see Tom Waits when he isn't looking like Tom Waits you know what I'm saying um Anyway, I met Zappy at this psychedelic conference in Vegas. I think we were standing in some line together waiting for our wristbands or something. And we chatted a little bit. And I immediately started to feel like, oh, this guy isn't what he looks like. Or what he looks like to me anyway. Because I I have to admit, I tend to be a little judgmental when I see somebody who's too well put together, you know, too consistent, too studied you know whether it's some dude who spends a lot of time in the gym and is very well groomed or a woman who's got her nails and everything and her hair's all it's just like uh i don't know i i gravitate toward the messy i gravitate toward the the more chaotic the the people who are less attentive to consistency in their branding or or their the way they look or you know the way they they come across I like I like chaos chaos feels honest to me but I have to admit that that may be my own bias that may be me making excuses for my own somewhat chaotic, lazy approach to some aspects of life, right? Maybe I look at the guys 
with the six packs and the guns and you know they're all sort of physically super put together and maybe the reason I sort of scoff at them is because I spent the day sitting around drinking beer and so I'm making excuses for myself my own potentially slovenly approach to things I don't know it's an interesting question and uh I don't claim to know the answer, but I really enjoy it when I meet somebody who makes me question my assumptions. And this conversation with Zappy Zappelin made me question my assumptions. Um, Because what happened was we chatted for a while and exchanged business cards. I think I was doing a podcast with somebody and and he also knew the person. I I forget what it was, but... I think basically, um, you know, we realized that we had some friends in common, some some contacts in common, and I gave him a card, and then I forgot about him. And a few months later, I got an email out of the blue saying, "Hey, I found your your card in my bag. I did it fallen to the bottom, and I forgot about it. And if you want to get together and and chat, whatever, you know, here's my contact." and and uh, so I looked him up online and I read a bit about him and he's a really interesting cat. Uh, he's gone from being an entrepreneur to a filmmaker and now he's, uh, well, what he calls a psychedelic concierge to the stars, uh-huh. which, which is a job that, um, you know, sometimes I thought I could have had if I'd uh, been a little more disciplined with my self-presentation. <laughs> a little more ambitious maybe um anyway he's he's an interesting guy he's obviously made a lot of money he knows how to do that and he hangs out with people like uh nba players lamar odoms is apparently a good friend of his and if you look at his website there's pictures of him with kim kardashian and uh quentin tarantino and oprah and various other important people that I don't recognize. Um, But he's an interesting guy. He's pretty down to earth, actually, as you'll hear. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Uh, House cleaning, house cleaning, not cleaning, housekeeping items. Uh, First of all, I should apologize. Something went wrong in the recording of this. I don't know if it was the online uh, platform I was using or if my microphone was adjusted wrong or whatever he sounds great but for some reason my recording is um, the the microphone the gain was turned up too loud so it's a little distorted uh, no popping or banging around or anything that should hurt your ears but you'll hear I'm a little cloudy so uh, I'm not sure what happened there but it's one of those things he can't fix in post so it's definitely listenable but but it's not ideal. Um, I'm in Athens, flying to LA in a couple of days. I'm going to get this out. It's Friday the 12th. I'll get this out today. And uh, I'm recording a couple of podcasts tomorrow. A couple of guys are are flying in, actually. Um, Ashkin is flying in from Istanbul. Really interesting dude I met when I was in Turkey. Um, Really looking forward to that conversation. And um, another dude is flying in uh, from Albania, I think. Uh, Really interesting guy who is 
traveling around and, and doing a project about countries without borders and, and sort of looking into the question of what is a country? Uh, what constitutes a country, right? Kurdistan, is that a country? You know, there are countries that aren't consistent with one culture. There, you know, the whole question of country and culture and tribe and identity and civilization, all these things sort of overlap in very interesting ways. Um, so uh, we're going to talk about that. So those will be coming soon. Uh, in the meantime, what else do I want to tell you? I'm flying to L.A. I think I, I talked about the fact that um, I'm going to be in the van and then cruise up to Montana, be up there for a while. And uh, yeah, going to be in the van until the snow knocks us out of it. So We'll be bopping around between Montana and New Mexico for the next few months. So if you're out there, check that map. Uh, what is it? Facil Maps. Um, um, yeah, Facil Map, F-A-C-I-L-M-A-P dot O-R-G forward slash T speaking dot edit. And you will find this map and it's really cool. I'm looking at it right now. It's a world map with little stars and, and tabs all over it. And these are people who listen to the podcast, who have gone to the map, put in some of their information, and uh, they're inviting you to drop by. Here, here's one. Let's see. This is uh, Tristan right near Provo, Utah. Hi, my name is Tristan. I'm 23. I used to say I was a comedian, musician, and filmmaker. I still do all those things, but now I just consider myself somebody's trying to figure out what the fuck I want to do. If you want to drop a, grab a coffee or a beer, here's my email. That's Tristan, near Provo, Utah. So I'm just going to grab another one randomly. Let's see, where should I go? Where should I go? Let's pick one far away. Let's pick one. Here's Halifax. I see Dawn. I'd love to hear from other listeners in Halifax. All right, now let's go to Europe. Let's go to Gothenburg. Dennis, ahoy, fellow TS listeners. If you ever find yourselves around Gothenburg, Sweden, there's plenty of beautiful nature to explore and uh, surprising amounts of concerts, festival, and some such. Send me an email if you want a local guide. Oh, and I'm a member of a local microbrewery, so I'll trade a bunch of beers for some good stories. God damn, you couldn't ask for a better invitation than that. So that's what you'll find on this map. People all over the place. I'm looking, there's someone in Poland. There are a bunch of, God, they're all over. People in Romania, uh, Turkey, Israel. Yeah, so get yourself on that map. Uh, throw down your information if, if you've got a place. Uh, where you're stable and you'd like some visitors. And if not, look for people where you're going and, and drop in and see them and let me know how that goes. I'd love to hear intro snips from people who have met through the map. Uh, that's that's my greatest inspiration for this. When I'm dead and gone, there'll be people out there who met through the podcast and this map is a tool to make that happen. Um, so Facil Map, F-A-C-I-L Map dot org forward slash t speaking dot edit go check it out all right i'm gonna play you out with a song called pop culture 
And it's by this, uh, this group, Nomads, who are based in Seattle. I reached out to them through their management because I'd love to get them on the podcast. Uh, and it looks like I might be in Seattle at some point. Haven't heard back. Uh, I think I also sent them a note through Twitter, a DM. If anybody knows them, if anybody up there in the Seattle music scene knows these guys, uh, put in a good word for me because I'd really like to meet them. I think they're among the most thoughtful rappers uh, that I'm aware of. Not that I'm any kind of expert on rap, but I really like their sincerity and... uh, and they're not trying to be they're not trying to be anything other than what they are they're they're not trying to be tough guys they're not singing about how much money they have and how cool they are and how many bitches they're fucking in fact it's quite the opposite this song as you'll hear is kind of heartbreaking it's a guy who's in a position where he has to choose between pursuing his dream and and developing his art on the one side and on the other side a relationship with a woman who's tired of waiting for him to grow up and get real and face life in a way that's more acceptable for her that's a tough position to be in for both of them I'm, I'm not judging her she's got her needs she's got her life path and when those paths diverge it's very painful for everybody and it's a pretty cool thing to write a song about even a rap song especially a rap song because there's so much bravado and bullshit in there um i was just listening to a song by bob dylan the other day if you see her say hello it's about an ex-girlfriend of his it's the same kind of song it's the same kind of sentiment um you know about someone he's lost touch with who he loved Anyway, this song is called Pop Culture. It's by Nomads. That's K-N-O-W, Mads. And uh, yeah, hook me up if anybody knows them. Thanks. Talk to you soon. I've been doing this since I was 13, man. Uh. Baby girl, I write a pop song when it hit the top 10. Swear I'll give you every single dollar I make. Cause I've been broke for a minute now. I know you getting tired hearing about how one day I'm gonna catch my break. Huh? Yeah, you probably think that I won't ever grow up But stop acting like there's something out there better than love Another struggle rapper talking about he down on his luck What make you special, make you expect that you'd ever blow up You just a normal ass ego tripping loner with a boarding pass Sitting on your MacBook, rapping and recording tracks Dream chasing dropout, finishing your undergrad White people problems, I don't listen to that sort of trash Plus that underground style been dated The game ain't the same as when Eminem made it Blah, 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 all them lyrics make my head hurt you should save your money up and buy a new sweatshirt music don't sell if you can't sell an image you need to find an angle like a joke or a gimmick like macklemore little dicky look how they did it what makes your raps real if you can't make a living being conscious ain't lit these days be honest you can't even make a hit these days while you waste your life out there trying to get these plays you gonna lose a good woman hope you miss me babe said i hope that you find what you're looking for seems you always got somewhere to go but don't come back round here anymore I'll be gone, won't see you tomorrow Baby girl, I'll write a pop song When it hit the top ten Swear I'll give you every single dollar I make Cause I've been broke for a minute now I know you getting tired here about how one day 
I'm gonna catch my break. Baby girl, I'll write a pop song when it hit the top ten. Swear I'll give you every single dollar I make. Cause I've been broke for a minute now. No, you getting tired here about how a day I'm gonna catch my break. Yeah. Hey yo, I wonder what it takes just to land that deal. How they twice as big, but only half as real. They want a fake gang star for that mass appeal. Make it hard to tell the world how you actually feel. Say shit like it's lit and I have no chill. Then post pics of this strip, cush bags of pills. No cap, mask off, gon' crack the seal. Up in the whip, let this drunk chick grab the wheel. Man, I can't keep pace trying to chase what's cool. I need to be laced with jewels, a few face tattoos to break through. Pop culture, change the color of your hair. Just don't forget when you was bummy with no money to spare No washer, no heater, boastal under repair Asking the homie if it's cool to borrow something to wear No rent money, next month was up in the air And had to learn the hard way, baby, nothing is fair Through the trial and error, ask me why do I care Will you be happy when you rapping out in Madison Square Let the fame take the place of the moments we shared Cause I was chasing after something that was already baby there I'll write a pop song yeah. when it hit the top ten Swear I'll give you every single dollar I make Cause I'm Broke for a minute now, know you getting tired here about how one day I'm gonna catch my break. Baby girl, I'll write a pop song when it hit the top ten. Swear I'll give you every single dollar I make. Cause I've been broke for a minute now. Know you getting tired here about how one day I'm gonna catch my break. Catch my break. I'm sick of feeling like I'm never enough. In a world where the money, how we measure it up. Or maybe I'm just too depressed and obsessed with this stuff. And think my life be worth less if I never blew up. I got homies working office jobs, could have been. Rock stars, others rocking world tours, barely even got bars. Maybe I could sell cars, trying to meet a quota. I spend my time typing as a web design coder. The truth is, I'd rather be broke on the road, making gas money back off of small town shows. With my bags in the trunk, living in between homes. Just to feel like there's meaning to my flesh and my bones. And that means that you see me as a text on your phone. And the stress got us feeling like it's best to move on. How it feel to go to sleep when your best friend is gone. Clinging to your dream with them headphones. Well, the homie got a plug at the agency, but they saying that you shit out of luck. Cause that boom bap rap ain't popping no more, and it ain't worth following up. Baby girl, I'll write a pop song when it hit the top ten. Swear I'll give you every single dollar I make. Cause I've been broke for a minute now, know you getting tired here about how one day I'm gonna catch my break. Baby girl, I'll write a pop song when it hit the top ten. Swear I'll give you every single dollar I make. Cause I've been broke for a minute now, know you getting tired. I hear about how one day I'm gonna catch my break. Baby girl, I'll write a pop song when it hit the top ten. Swear I'll give you every single dollar I make. Cause I've been broke for a minute now. Know you getting tired here about how one day I'm gonna catch my break. Yeah. Said I hope that you find what you're looking for. Seems you always got somewhere to go. But don't come back round here anymore. I'll be gone, won't see you Thank you for yes. joining me, Zappy. Great to be here. I'm uh, in Florida, here in the Miami area, and it's a glorious place to be right now. Just uh, all the tourists left because it's too hot, and uh, mm. here I am, free reigns to the whole place. Nice. Congratulations. What's the Mind Army? I see the, the image behind you on the wall. Yeah, so the Mind Army is a nonprofit, and we are fighting for the right to pursue happiness. And we believe it's everybody's inalienable right to go inside their own mind for answers and healing. And basically, we're 
not going to sit here in 2022 and have people tell us alcohol is good, tobacco is good, but somehow psilocybin mushrooms are bad. And even if you're in a crisis, they're off the table. We're just not living in that paradigm. And so we've got a great legal team that is actually going to help us fight for legalization right now for the opiate epidemic. We're going to try to deschedule ibogaine which is an African route that's known to be able to break even a heroin addiction or an opiate addiction in a single treatment. So that's really a lot of my focus. I have some commercial things I'm working on, but really I feel like as I watch everything going on in society, it's like, how could you not have PTSD right now? And so given that, it's like, how do we interrupt that, you know? So right. that's the, the fight of yeah, the mind that's an yeah, that's an interesting point. Like PTSD, we live. There's a book I read years ago called "My Name Is Chellis Glendinning." Was her name? She was an like an environmental psychologist, I think, something like that, or an ecological psychologist. I forget the the term. Um, but the name of the book is "My Name Is Chellis Glendinning," and I'm in recovery from Western civilization. And wow. her thesis was that Western civilization is itself um, defined by PTSD. The entire culture exhibits the symptoms of PTSD. And she located it in volcanic eruptions and the sort of warlike, you know, conquest and rape and pillage and, you know, repeated waves of uh, invasions and so on that that our ancestors have uh, experienced. Um, but it's interesting because it is self-perpetuating, right? Like my last book is called Civilized to Death, and it's all about how civilization is a death cult. And it's, you know, presented to us as this great gift to humanity, when in fact, if you actually look at it, we arguably live worse off lives than people did 20 or 30,000 years ago. That's my thesis. Yeah. So I think yeah. you're right. PTSD is not just for vets coming back from war or someone who's had some clearly horrible experience that you can put your finger on. It's in the fabric of our lives. Yes, I think that's right. I mean, you know, you think about these different ages, you know, the Bronze Age, the Industrial Age. I think we're in a PTSD age. That's what's going to be this age right now, because prior to the pandemic, people used to always say to me, hey, Zappy, do you think psychedelics are for everyone? And I would be like, well, no, not for everybody, because, you know, it's this reason and that. But like post pandemic, I mean, if you don't have some kind of PTSD from the environment, the wars, the COVID, you know, all these things, like you're probably a psychopath of some point, some sort, if you don't have some kind of PTSD. And I think like, there's no way that we can go back to talk therapy and antidepressants to get us out of the problem when they're part of what got us into this. We need a better solution. The science and evidence on psychedelics is totally undeniable. And we need this right now more than ever because out of that PTSD and the war, when I see what's happening in Ukraine, my brain immediately switches to, oh my God, we gotta get these people ketamine. As soon as this thing's over or they're you know, in some other country, they need a treatment because this is too much PTSD to be handling in 2022 that your, you know, your whole life has just been disrupted in a day by forces that have nothing maybe to do with you. It's really, 
something that I think only psychedelics could probably handle because the turnaround is so quick. You know, when you're trying other techniques, even antidepressants or talking about it or meditation or breathing, it takes a long time. But with a ketamine treatment, which I've sat with hundreds of people who've done it, and the results are people going from suicidal to wanting to live in one 45 minute session. Where else are we gonna find that? Nowhere. And we're in this like super desperate situation right now that we have to take what would have been considered extreme measures. I think right now, you know, we need it. Well, let me push back on that a little bit because it sounds like you're you're describing psychedelics and ketamine, which is more of a dissociative um, but could arguably be considered in the same realm. But it sounds like you're you're presenting them as a magic pill that that in 45 minutes you walk in and uh, 45 minutes you, later you walk out and you're cured. Is that what you're saying? I'm not exactly saying that. I, I think it's part of a of a what I would call like a formula. And, you know, I just did this movie with Lamar Odom, the basketball player Kardashian, where I gave him a psychedelic intervention to try to disrupt his anxiety and mental illness, things that he has going on and addiction profile. And I came up with a formula for him, which was for him, ketamine plus plant medicine plus a daily practice like meditation or breathing would equal a conscious transformation. And so I don't think that these are magic bullets that you take it and you don't have to do anything else. The integration's really important. But I think if you try to do meditation or breathing or whatever it is to try to get through the PTSD cycles that we have, it's going to be almost it's going to be maybe a few percent of the people that could burst through their you know where they're sitting right now. And I don't know if you've seen, Chris, but there's this study that shows that PTSD goes back 13 generations, at least in mice. So they took these mice, they shocked them, they showed them a purple light, and then they shocked them, they show them the purple light, they keep shocking them. At some point, they show them the purple light and they go into this PTSD. Well, they then looked at the children and the grandchildren. Every time they showed them the purple light, they'd have PTSD, they go into shock, and it went down 13 generations. And you go back 13 mm. generations in anybody's history, and there's trauma, there's slavery, there's oppression. And so I think yeah. we have to get real about, hey, this stuff's in our DNA. We're not talking about what happened yesterday alone. We're talking about things that are, sure. you know, need to be healed at a cellular level. So, yeah, I do think there's yeah. more to it than I, that. But. I haven't seen that research with the mice, but I've seen research showing that um, this, you know, similar mechanism showing that great grandchildren of someone who suffered famine um, tend to be obese. And whether they were adopted and raised by a different family or moved to a different part of the world didn't matter. Um, so there's definitely, you know, in, in terms of uh, evolution, there's something that, as you say, is imprinted probably in the DNA and the chromosome somehow um, that definitely transcends individual lifetimes, which is really interesting when you start to think about reincarnation. Right. It's like something does go beyond your death and it does. It is a reflection of your experiences. There's there's something really transcendent and, and interesting there. Yeah, no, I agree. It's um, 
I would venture to guess that every experience that your grandparents ever had and great grandparents is stored somewhere in your DNA and you're just not aware of it. And a lot of times people get triggered by things. They're like, why does that trigger me? It shouldn't, but maybe it's in a deeper level. And I think that that's, that's important. I want to reference one thing about, you know, this being a panacea, uh, which again, we're not saying that that's the case, but I, I watched this Joe Rogan interview the other day with Lex Friedman and Lex Friedman, this came out on 4th of July. And he said, how did you handle being almost canceled and having all this horrible stuff happen to you? And Joe Rogan says, I took mushrooms. And he was like, wow, well, what's your protocol? And he said, well, <laughs> He's like, I took about a gram a day and I just, you know, didn't deal with it. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so brilliant, you know, and and to be him and to be about to be canceled and claimed you're a racist and all this nonsense. If he had engaged with that, I think it would have destroyed him in some way. And he had a a better way of dealing with it. And I think we all can take a lesson from that because nothing that's going to happen is going to be more intense probably than what happened to him in the position he's in. So if it worked for him, you know, imagine what it could do for everybody else. What do you think about uh, or how do you sort of square that vision of the healing potential of psychedelics with the fact that the world is going to keep doing what the world does, whether Joe Rogan takes a gram of mushrooms or you and I take mushrooms or whatever, you know, the the oceans are heating up, the fucking ice caps are melting. And what would you say to someone who says, Zappy, all you're doing is saying, let's party on the Titanic while it sinks. There's no there's no structural change happening as a result of this. Yeah. So that's a really good question. I mean, for me, I I feel like the answer to that question is that If we could get a critical mass of people to go inside using psychedelics, what I've observed is that people generally come out with more empathy. And I think we're having some kind of an empathy crisis right now where even myself, I want to care about the people in Ukraine or I want to care about people who just had some mass shooting happen. And I I think about it and stuff. And then all of a sudden my phone rings and this and that and I'm out. And I didn't like put myself in their shoes And I think the opportunity of psychedelics is it really, when you emerge with more empathy, that allows you to have a different perspective. And and if we had enough people at a higher level of consciousness with more empathy, I really think we could solve any of these big problems we have. Climate change, eco-destruction, you know, violence, terrorism, all these things, they're totally solvable if enough people are, you know, coming at it with the right empathy level. And... um, there's a the reason so, that I'm yeah, yeah. no. I was going to say the reason that I'm going so Go hard at this right now is that uh, Ray Kurzweil, the futurist who uh, started Singularity University, he was the chief science officer at Google. He made a prediction that in 2045, which isn't that long from now, we will reach singularity, where your brain is directly connected to the internet. You have the whole cloud and you have AI running calculations on what's happening. And he said in 2045, somebody with that setup will be one billion times more intelligent than you are today. And I think if people think about that, like, oh, my God, that's so great. But I'm thinking, oh, my God, that's so scary. If a kid, you know, breaks up with their girlfriend or boyfriend and then they go, I'm going to destroy Miami today. 
they're going to have the capability to do it. And we need to raise empathy immediately to get that critical mass going. Because if we wait till 2044 and go, oh, my God, what are we going to do? It's going to be way too late. Yeah. Well, you know, you're reminding me of uh, Timothy Leary in some ways and, and his sort of uh, belief that you could everyone should turn on, tune in and turn and drop out. Right. Um, yes. At least in the first part, you seem to be yeah. down with the, the turn on and tune in. Um, but what do you do with the drop out part? What do you do with the fact that, you know, I think you're right that a lot of people who experience psychedelics emerge from the experience um, with some humility and and increased compassion and um, a sense that things aren't as simple as they thought they were, uh, you know, mm -hmm. yesterday, uh, which is a good thing, uh, a very good thing. Um, but what do you do with the last part, which certainly happened to me and a lot of people I know, which is that you're then not attracted to the sorts of ambition and power plays and all the kind of shit that you have to do to get to a position of leadership in this world, right? Like people don't yeah. take mushrooms and decide to run for president. They take mushrooms and realize what a stupid fucking plan that is to run for president. Yeah, no, that's so true. I mean, you know, for me, I don't think the dropout part is, is necessary. And I say that because, you know, it's sort of like that old Buckminster Fuller thing. It's like, don't try to destroy the system, just create a better system and then that'll take over. And I think that's mm. more what I'm advocating. And, you know, right, right now, I think that the technology and the information that people are receiving on a moment to moment basis, it's too much. Our brains can't even handle this level. So we need some kind of an evolutionary loop, uh, leap to be able to you know, just integrate what's happening in the society and reality. So for me, you know, things like ketamine, uh, incredible um, opportunity for us, FDA approved, very safe medication, dissociates your left and right brain. And there's a lot of neurogenesis that happens with ketamine when it metabolizes. So I feel like that might be that evolutionary loop that we need where you could disconnect from some of the noise and you could just, you know, be resonating at a little bit of a different frequency. And I think when you get closer to your own frequency where you resonate, it's easier to make decisions like, mm, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. It doesn't really resonate with me. Or, ooh, I like this person. Why, you know, let's, let's, let me find out more. And that's something that you can't do if you're just caught up in this Twitter and, you know, all this stuff coming at you constantly. Uh, it's yeah. really hard to break that. So. I think these psychedelics, whenever I do them, Chris, they always reconnect me to the miracle that we're in. Like, oh, my God, like the we have an atmosphere. I'm on a, a video chat in real time across the world. Like this is a miracle. But we get so jaded that we don't look at it that way. And when I come back out of a psychedelic experience, I go, wow, this is a miracle. This is fantastic. And that stays with me. And hopefully, you know, just a glimpse of that can be uh, really you know, life changing. I've seen it yeah. in my own family, my friends. It's that reconnection is incredible. What What do you think about, you know, someone listening to this right now? Um, you know, again, it, it sounds like you're saying this is a panacea. It sounds like you're saying this is a good thing for everyone. Um, but I'm sure you know people and I definitely know people who have had 
um, psychotic breaks while yeah. uh, under the influence of psychedelics. So I don't, I, you know, I went through a phase early in my psychedelic days uh, where I wanted everyone to take them and I thought they were going to change the world in a really positive way. And I've since backed off from that and I feel like more of a, I'm sure you're familiar with the dialogue between like Aldous Huxley on one side and Leary on the other side where Leary was saying everyone needs to turn on and Huxley was saying, no, we need to be careful about this, you know, because it can do damage as well. Um, how do you advise people when they come to you and say, I'm thinking about doing this? How do you know? You, do you, I guess another way to say this is, do you think someone you know, like one of these guys who who's picks up a, a rifle and goes and kills a bunch of strangers. Do you think if they had done psychedelics a month ago, it would have helped them? Or is are there certain yeah. personality structures where it's just going to make it worse? Yeah, I think that these school shooters, if they had the right psychedelic formula, there's no way they would have done that. Um, the thing that occurs to me uh, is that we have an opportunity with these things, but this is powerful energy. You know, you need to be in the, as Timothy Leary said, in the right set and setting. And by that, that means the right mindset right. and in the right place with the right people. And anytime I've seen somebody have right. a bad psychedelic experience, it's always because they didn't pay attention to set and setting. And it's, it's equivalent, Chris, of like saying, hey, you're 16 years old. You can drive. Here's the keys. It's like that would be the deathly. There would be more deaths from that than anything else if we just handed 16-year-olds keys without training or anything like that. So these are powerful energies. They have to be respected. You have to be guided. But if you are, I've really never seen one of these things go bad. Um, oftentimes when they're very emotional or intense and you're clearing out, you know, old baggage and patterns, you know, there's there's a lot of work to do. But if you have somebody with you who's been through it, understands what's going on and can, you know, cares about you, I've never seen one of those go bad. And, you know, when I have heard stories about, you know, people having psychotic breaks or I've seen some people that looked off from, you know, whatever was going on, I always think, you know, the person who jumped out of the building because they were, took mushrooms, it's like they were going to jump out of a building anyways because I've, you know, seen millions of people take them and not do that. So clearly that's not really the thing. And, you know, I think... A lot of times in this society, even with cannabis, if it were treated like a medicine with a lot of respect from the medical community, the government, from people because they were properly educated, people would get a lot more out of it and they'd have better outcomes. But just like psychedelics, it's so it's been so taboo for so long and you've had so many stories about, oh my God, you're going to jump out of building. It's like, no, that's, that's misinformation. And even in the case of, say, ibogaine, like I was talking about, that could break an opiate addiction, um, ibogaine, they, they're always reporting that 39 people died of a heart condition in the last 50 years. They're really concerned. They're not so concerned with the 100,000 people who died of an overdose or the 50,000 a year yeah. they're dying from suicide. But these 39 people over the last 50 years, I mean, this is really concerning to them, you know? So we got to yeah. get it to where these things are respected. I mean, if somebody 
and and, and to, I want to make this point, Chris. It's I don't even think there's a conspiracy to keep these things away from people. I think it's a straight lack of information. And it's our job as the psychonauts to educate the medical system, the government, because if you think about it, you know, doctors, they don't even know about nutrition. You know what I mean? And that could like maybe you know, heal most of the problems. They, they took like one week yeah. of nutrition in school. And it's like if that's their level yeah. of understanding about these things. So I think we just got to you know, educate people, psilocybin microdosing. It may you know, get rid of all antidepressants out there at some point, but we have to be willing to, you know, instead of just saying, you know, these are bad, these antidepressants, get rid of them. It's like, no, let's just get people microdosing. They can have their own experience, enough people build up, and then maybe the other system just goes away. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. Uh, I hadn't thought of it that way, but that makes a lot of sense. Um, you, you used the word respect earlier, which I think is so important and sort of gets at a lot of, you know, what I've been saying here is that, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to come across like I'm resistant to your message because I'm not. I, this has been my message since the 80s, you know, when night, Halloween night 1980 is the first time I took a psychedelic and it changed my life in extremely positive ways and I'll always be grateful. Um, but I do feel like it's very important when we talk about these things with our natural enthusiasm um, from our own experience to also say like this isn't a magic pill you take and it solves your problems. This is, I mean, I've heard it described as like a helicopter ride to, so you can see the peak of the mountain, but then the helicopter lands and you've got to climb. If you want to get back up there, you got to climb, but at least now you've seen it. You know what it looks yes. like. Um, you know, they're not wisdom pills, right? It's it's not instant guruhood. Um, yeah. What do you no. say to people who, you know, to somebody who, who meets you and says, okay, you're a slick guy, you're a businessman, you know how to play media, you know how to brand and all that. You're just turning that skill set to what you see as like the next big thing. Like, yeah. how do you respond to that? Because there's a lot of that going on, right? Yeah, I, w I would confirm with them. I would say, you know, I, I do have a skill set. I have spent a long time in business and media and I could be marketing anything. I could be marketing the next great calendar app or, you know, this or that. But with the state of the world, you know, I have teenage daughters. It's like I can't have them running around in a place where everybody's shooting up the place and and going crazy and everything's just nuts. I have to try to use the skills I have, the platform to try to make things better. And if there was something more, you know, more effective than psychedelics for that breakthrough, for that reconnection to the miracle, I would be talking about that right now. So I'm only really doing this because I feel like whatever, you know, if I, a meteor comes down and hits the my house right now and I'm gone, uh, at least I tried to, you know, educate people about an opportunity that we have that we haven't had before and something to take seriously right now. And and I think when you bring business and you bring the the money side to people, a lot of times that's how they you know, like to come in, you got to meet people where they are. So you have to show people, hey, you're you're building your brain, you're building your mental health. This isn't to leave this world and this reality. This is to 
engage in it in a more joyful way to see the miracle you know if you see the miracle you're not going to kill yourself you're not going to have ptsd you're going to be you know just living in that more in that present moment awareness and and i think present moment awareness is an interesting moment to find yourself in it happens in a psychedelic experience it happens in a near-death experience you know like your car is about to hit that other car and all of a sudden it's like whoa everything slows down and that's usually when people get a glimpse of that so to sit in there be able to sit in there and transcendently for 45 minutes two hours whatever it is like wow what an opportunity that is to recapture something that you can't capture when you're just, you know, running on a treadmill waiting for the next, you know, shoe to drop. Yeah. Do you worry that as psychedelics become more mainstream and pass through the hands of more sort of, you know, large pharmaceutical companies and marketing executives and branding companies and all that, that they'll be drained of their magic and they'll just become another commodity? That's an interesting question. I mean, I'm I'm also on this topic, I'm thinking that, hey, we're not gonna get rid of pharmaceutical companies and capitalism, but if we can engage them to understand the power of psilocybin mushrooms and some of these other compounds and get active with those, you know, we could have things that really work. And I'm so confident in the in the plant medicine, in the psychedelics, in that experience, if it's in the right set and setting, that I don't think we have to worry that somebody's going to completely disrupt it. Because it's like, if you give somebody, if I, you know, put you in a room, you know, and I make it really clinical, and then I give you, you know, a shot of 90, 100 milligrams of ketamine, like, I don't care what you heard before that or what was in your head you are going to dissociate and you're going to have you know an experience number one but number two clearly when the ketamine metabolizes in the hours after it becomes this hydroxy norketamine and it builds new neural pathways new dendrites in the brain so that's happening regardless of you know how it's being you know given to you number one and you know some of the science i just want to tell you the science on the ketamine this is in nature magazine and they say that you have this area of your brain called the default mode network and it's usually defaulting to either creativity or fear and worry and a lot of people it's set to worry and they found out that in there there's this mechanism called your lateral habenula and your lateral habenula is recording all the stress you've ever had in your whole life when it becomes too much your brain goes into this burst mode and it's just a different brain state and when your brain's in burst mode it shuts off your dopamine production completely so you're getting no happiness no motivation no reason even to live the first time you do medical ketamine it takes the brain out of burst mode and you immediately start to get the dopamine back and so we get calls uh, we, I've got a company called KetaMD where we're doing these at-home ketamine treatments and we get a call from the husband or the wife the next day after their first ketamine treatment and they're like oh my god he just cleaned the attic you know like he's been claiming he's going to do that for five years and that 
you know, is a very important, I think 50% of the people have treatment resistant depression are probably in burst mode and they need something that can take that out. And so I kind of think if we have the legalization framework where these compounds can be studied properly, uh, you know, used by doctors, we will find the best practices. And right now we don't have best practices because it's been so taboo that we don't live in that paradigm. And yeah. I'm work. I'm working with one other company on the uh, for-profit side called Psychoceutical, which is the best of psychedelics meets pharmaceuticals. And what we're doing there is we've got a couple of patents from the drug that are in the drug delivery space, and we brought them over from pharma, and we've licensed them for the psychedelic space. So this is like solving the dosing issue where we could put it in a pill or a tincture and a doctor would understand the half-life and the bioavailability and all that. Because even if a doctor right now, Chris said, I absolutely think that psilocybin mushrooms are going to save your life. It's exactly what you need. They are not going to want to hand you a bag of mushrooms and say, you know, I don't know, take two caps and a stem and, you know, let me know how it goes. You know? Um, you know, they they need that thing that resemble a pharmaceutical. And so if Psychoceutical yeah. is crafting these amazing uh, pharmaceutical products that uh, allow the medical establishment rather than saying, <clears throat> you know, medical establishment, you know, bend to our will. It's like, no, let's put this in a functional uh, way that they can understand. And I think that that if we can do that, then there's going to be a lot of. Um, trial, you know, trials and research. Well, we will find the perfect dosing for everyone. Mm. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. I read a bit about what you were doing there with the time release uh, mechanisms and and that sort of stuff. Uh, <clears throat> quite interesting. Did did I? I don't remember. I don't know if I'm remembering this correctly, but I think there was a sequencing thing where there was like ketamine followed by psilocybin or something. Yeah, right? well, it's yeah, it's actually really cool. The patents are were developed for cancer drugs because they wanted to make a uh, chemotherapy drug that didn't have all the side effects. So they said if we could bypass mm. the systemic system, then maybe people wouldn't have these uh, difficult side effects. And they created at University of Michigan this patent to be able to make the size of the molecules any size, and they can change the shape of the molecule. And they realized in cancer drugs that a triangular shaped molecule uptakes exponentially to a round one. And so all this opportunity that we have to target, to uh, do these things is really powerful. But what you saw was that this is a nano layered particle that we've created, this Janus particles, it's layered nanoparticles. So we can actually, for the first time, put any psychedelic compounds together, even if they're water and oil based, put them together. And then every hour or two hours, whatever it is, 15 minutes, we can let another layer of polymer come off and release more medicine. So that means that you could take one tincture, one nasal spray or topical, it goes into your bloodstream nano, and then as the layers come off, you could be microdosing without even trying at that point. Because right now, if you wanted to microdose ketamine, you'd have to take a lozenge or a nasal spray every hour. It's hard to remember if you did it and all that kind of stuff. Here, you take it once and these layers come off and you're given more. But what hmm. we're actually able to do is to combine multiple compounds and complementary compounds. So you can imagine you take some drops 
and it releases an anti-nausea medication, and then five minutes later, it releases ketamine, and then an hour later, maybe it releases some CBG or something that's gonna be complementary to the experience. And that could be psilocybin and MDMA or all kinds of combinations, but very safe, very targeted, and um, that's that's really exciting. And then we have another one that's kind of, I wanna call it controversial when you first hear about it, but it's a uh, patent to deliver a substance at the back of the neck at the base of the hairline. And when you deliver a neuroactive compound right there, it goes directly into the nerve tissue, directly to the brain. It avoids the whole you know, system. And by doing that, you take out the psychedelic effect, the nauseous, the dizziness, all these things. And so what happens is you still get the neurogenitive effect, which is great, but it opens it up to children, elderly, people who are afraid that they don't want to have that full on psychedelic experience. They don't want any, but they want the neurogenesis and this uh, neurodirect ketamine that uh, Psychoceutical has. What's exciting is it takes that out. And I talked to Rick Doblin from MAPS and, you know, we had this conversation, should you take out the psychedelic effect or not? And he even agreed. He said, well, it seems like we have to have the choice because for a lot of people that experience is going to be very important, but obviously for children, elderly and people that are afraid, like we still want them to get the benefits. So yes, there is a place <clears throat> for these compounds not having the psychedelic experience, but getting all the benefit. And I think, you know, that's to me how we have to create a new system rather than just saying, oh, you know, antidepressants are terrible. You know, no, let's Mm. show that there's something better. And then that could just replace it. No resistance. Let's prove it. And that's the beautiful moment we're in right now where even social media and things, you know, to have Lamar Odom be the star of my documentary, Lamar Odom Reborn. I gave him ketamine treatments, gave him an ibogaine treatment down in Mexico, breathing, uh, meditation. And, you know, here he is, you know, three years later, he's clean, you know, he smokes cannabis. It's a, it's a medicine for him, but he's avoided all hard drugs. He said, even when Kobe Bryant died, it would have been the perfect opportunity for him to use. And he said, I just, it wasn't Mm. with me. I didn't want to do that. And so you look at kind of these people who are on the outer edge of the spectrum and you're like, wow, if it could work for them, like what could it do for me? Yeah. I wonder if you can say, uh, talk a bit about the transition in your life um, from, you know, were you working on Wall Street or something? You're the investment guy or what? Mm -hmm. uh, How did that lead to this? That's a good, really good question. It was very organic, of course, but um, what happened was I, when I was younger and a teen, I had a very good psychedelic experience myself where I saw my hand was, you know, trillions of atoms vibrating at a certain frequency. And I looked at my friend and he was the same atoms, but they were just a slightly different frequency and the table, same different. I was like, oh my God, like that's what this whole thing really looks like and everything's connected and and I kept that with me it was very positive and and then and this is in my documentary the reality of truth with Michelle Rodriguez where I had this midlife crisis where I'd done everything society told me to do go to school make money have a family you'll be totally fulfilled 
And I was sitting there like, I did it and I'm not fulfilled. Like either something's wrong with me or this system is not right, you know? So I had heard about ayahuasca and people going to the jungle and sitting with shamans. And I thought, wow, maybe I could go sit with a shaman and, you know, learn something about myself, heal. And um, I was lucky enough to bring Michelle Rodriguez, who was friends with a friend. We went down there and shot our experience of doing San Pedro cactus at the top of a mountain and then hiking down in the jungle a couple of days later and doing an ayahuasca in the jungle. And that completely reset me. I was just like, I came back. I was, oh my God, everybody's got to do plant medicine. I was like you after your, you know, Halloween thing. It was like, oh my God, I found the thing, you know. But when I would say that to people, they would say, oh, Zappy, I can't do that. You know, my family, they'll put me in a mental institution if I tell them I'm going down to the jungle. Like, this is not for me. So I kept on thinking, oh, I got to find a Western medicine approach. And I found ketamine. And I, I said, wow, like this could be the thing that crosses people over. It's FDA approved. It's very safe. It's the number one anesthetic used by oral surgeons on children. So, you know, they're giving babies a huge dose and we're just taking a little bit. And what happened was they were using ketamine in the battlefield in Vietnam when they were doing amputations out in the battlefield. And they looked at the data after and they realized that all the people that had the ketamine anesthetic did not commit suicide, but the people that were getting ether or whatever else, and then the amputation, they were committing suicide at a high rate. So you're like, what's up with the ketamine? And they took it to Yale University. They did an exhaustive study over many years, and they came to find out that if you give somebody a low dose of ketamine, it actually dissociates your left and right brain, and it allows them to communicate without your ego getting involved. And you build new neural pathways that are pathways that are, I'm here and I'm moving forward. And you don't have the same electrical charge on some of these um, patterns that you used to have. And so when I found ketamine, I was like, that's it. I'm just going to try to advocate for this because you know, it's, it's a tough leap to get somebody down to Mexico. Even Lamar, when I first met him, he'd never done psychedelics before. He always been told, you know, those are white people drugs. If something happens, you could get shot by the cops and put in a mental institution, like stay away. And I was like, wow, that's really tragic. But like Lamar, I want to try to, you know, bring you to a clinic, have you go inside yourself and see what that's about. And he did. And he had a great experience. He built that up that strength and then I said let me take you down to Mexico where there's a doctor doing ibogaine it's illegal here in the states but you have an addiction profile Uh, you're an African-American guy this is an African root maybe you're supposed to be having it but you've been cut off culturally from it like let's give it a shot and he because of his ketamine experience he trusted it and if I had tried to get him down to Mexico first it was never happening with him hmm. or any of the people around him so I think it's a right. perfect gateway for a conscious transformation of some sort yeah yeah definitely um, listen I I need to uh, wrap this up because this studio is uh, booked for 15 minutes from now um, but no I'm kind of bummed out that we got a late start because you're a really interesting dude and I really appreciate what you're doing here um, where where can people learn more about you I know you have a, a website and you talk about your your speaking and your book or your um, your movie there yes 
Definitely. Uh, on social media is best, Zappy Zappelin, Z-A-P-P-Y, Zappelin, Z-A-P-O-L-I-N. Uh, you can find me there, zappyzappelin.com. Best place to find me. You can go to mindarmy.org and join the Mind Army. We are uh, having a lot of fun. We're gonna we're doing some activations that are going to be very high profile, calling attention to this that are you know quite disruptive. But I think we need some disruption right now. We can't go with the status quo. We've got to you know really dig down. And if you believe in something, I think this is the moment to you know bring that forward, whatever it is, because we need these. You know, do we need to be educated about things that used to be niche or taboo? We now need them en masse. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it, it seems like it gets harder and harder to find good news these days. Like things are circling the drain, it feels. But mm-hmm. um, I could not have predicted 20 years ago that that we'd be having these sorts of conversations and that, you know, mushrooms would be legalized in Oregon and Denver and, you know, elsewhere and that there'd be ayahuasca ceremonies going on all over the world. And I, I met Rick Doblin in like 92 or so. Um, and I, I can remember thinking like, OK, this guy is a visionary, but he's kind of wasting his time. Like there's no way he's going to get this stuff legalized in his lifetime or mine. And then here we are 30 years later and it's like, God damn, the world has changed for the better in this in this particular aspect, if not in others. So, yeah, yeah. if you're going to join the army, join the mind army. Okay, mom, uh, tell people what they can order from the garage. Okay, in our cottage garage, we have lots and lots of T-shirts. Sex at Dawn, Civilized to Death, Vanthropology, Tangentially Speaking, Paleo Modern, and Talking Out of My Ass. She didn't like saying that last one. Then we now have some new things added. We've got beer cozies or koozies or whatever they're called. Oh, civilized to death. They're all civilized to death. We have stickers and car decals, right? Yes. Okay. There you have it. That's Julie, my mom. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you wanna say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you've ever known Is headed for a headstone I don't wanna give the end away But we're gonna die one day Your body is an animal Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about 
Dance into the ground. 